0: Well, this is lesson number 10 of the Revelation, and this is, a, this is a lesson on the seven bowl judgments. That is the seven, the King James calls it the seven vials. Uh, a vial, if, when you study it in the Greek, the word vial for them means a shallow bowl. Uh, we think of a vial as like, you know, this test tube kind of thing, but so that's why modern translations call it the bowl. So this is the last of the seven of the 21 judgments that are poured out during the time of the tribulation. And it is actually these seven judgments that Jesus Christ referred to as great tribulation. So we'll cover all that. Uh, My my encouragement to you is that as you've studied this, that it's strengthened you, it's put a positive confidence and faith in you that you've come through these lessons and you realize I don't have to be worried about Armageddon it's not my problem I don't have to be worried about uh, being a prepper in a fallout bunker with diesel fuel running out and having 10,000 rounds of nine millimeter because I told one man who was a big prepper I said look you might be able to get a couple shots off with your 7625 at that NATO truck or that UN tank but the second they see small arms fire coming from your basement you're done and and what is your little 10,000 rounds of 9mm compared to a drone nothing just ask taliban <laughs> so i'm thankful we don't have that promise or that threat looming over us we are the church we are victorious our job is to finish this dispensation and preach the gospel to as many people as possible and at the same time enjoy life we are the great restraint The Bible clearly tells us that, so if we're the great restraint, the more confident, full of faith you are, the greater a restraint you are. The Bible and our lessons have fully proven that until we're gone, nothing can happen. So if we'll just rise up and come out of the shadows, we can enjoy an even better life, preaching the word, enjoying our families, enjoying a vacation, winning the lost, enjoying a good conference, some, some worship. Uh, we've not been given this spirit of fear that is so prevalent in the earth today. What might really encourage some of you or help some of you is maybe fast television, fast the news. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by not just the word of God but whatever you hear And if you're like I was, I'm fasting media right now, I have been for about four or five months, I'm a totally different happy guy. Because I realize all those folks on television, even the ones you like, are a bunch of biased scoundrels who are caught up with the spirit of the world and they prophesy according to the spirit they fellowship with. I don't believe there's many talking heads on television that you and I listen to that fellowship with Jesus Christ. So if you feed on Fox News or CNN or Yahoo News or Brightbird or Drudge Report, if you feed on that more than you do the Word of God, you're going to be a fearful, cowering individual. And that's not God's will for your life. There's nothing wrong with staying informed and staying in the loop. You should be educated, but that should not be the sole thing you feed on. If you listen to what my pastor calls in the prophets of the land, you can have what they say, which is fear, 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 fear. And so if you just dry that stuff up, realize they're just empty voices talking into an echo chamber, you can have some faith with Jesus Christ and come out of this thing a lot more confident. So dry up the, the, the voices of the land and maybe spend more time in prayer, spend more time studying the scriptures, spend more time listening to some preaching that'll build your faith. We cannot forget that faith comes by hearing. So what are you listening to? And if you don't have any faith in the things of God, it's because you've not been listening to the things of God. If you have faith in the end time apocalypse happening in your, next week at a, an address near you, it's because you've been listening to the prophet of the land lying to you about what's going to happen. I might just add, where's ISIS now? Not in the news every day, cutting people's heads off. That, that was almost like a flash in the pan. But when you fed on it every day, Anybody with a pillowcase over their head was ISIS. And I've had to teach us that Muslims are not they're not our enemy, they're our target. Jesus Christ wants them in the kingdom just like he wants a little redneck from the hills of Tennessee. A little redneck from the hillbilly hills of Tennessee is just as much a pagan on their way to hell as an ISIS Muslim is. So I know they got some messed up doctrine and they're a hate-filled religion. I understand that. But there are people in that religion who are in that religion because they want to know God. And and that's all they've been offered. And I would also point out that the Muslims seem to be the greatest religion Jesus Christ appears to in person. Because we're always hearing testimonies of Jesus Christ walking into a Muslim's house, a Muslim's barracks, a Muslim's home, a Muslim's outhouse and saying, I'm Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Give your life to me or you'll perish. I don't hear him appearing to folks in Tennessee. So just to kind of keep us balanced and free from hate and fear, Jesus Christ died for the Muslim. And as my wife calls him, the ninja. That's the woman, the Muslim woman who's so free in her religion, all you can see is her eyes. Jesus Christ died for her too. But if all you ever do is feed on the media 24-7, you will be a coward of a Christian. You will be a grasshopper in your sight. Amen. So there's my exhortation and introduction to lesson 10, the seven bold judgments. So let's look at our lesson here. There are a total of 21 judgments brought about upon mankind in the revelation. 21 total. All of it's God's doing. And we cannot forget that, that this lovey-dovey Jesus that the hippie preachers preach He's a God that exacts swift judgment upon mankind, 21 judgments over seven years, and he just keeps ratcheting it up, if you would, the thumbscrews upon mankind. The first seven are released by the opening of the seven seals in heaven. Remember, we covered that a couple weeks ago. Seven seals, every time a seal was undone on this book, uh, something was unleashed. It was loosed. You open a seal, you loose something. This kicked off the events of the tribulation. The second group of seven judgments will be heralded and commanded by the seven trumpets. So you see the first seven judgments are unleashed. The second seven are heralded or commanded, culminating at the middle part of the tribulation. The seven middle judgments or the seven uh, trumpet judgments, they're, they're right there at the middle part of the tribulation. And then that brings us to the last seven. The last group of seven judgments will be poured out. So you have an unleashing, a commanding, and an outpouring. It's, it's unique to see three sets of seven, 21 total, and each one is done differently. The unleashing is a slow ramping up. A commanding is an even more intensifying. And then, we'll see this, but these last seven bowls, they come straight from the temple of God. That's where they're stored. The seven final judgments of God are kept in heaven right now. It's almost like they're on a shelf somewhere in the temple that says, whoa. <laughs> Do not touch without divine permission, yeah they 're poured out and they 're poured out of seven vials or bowls. I misspelled there 's says bowels typo during the lapse my uh, my my editor didn 't catch that. I just did. you know sometimes you can have some judgment in your bowels too, and that 's usually when you 're in the third world and you had something you shouldn 't have had and and just like the angel in heaven, you say, "Whoa." <laughs> These last seven judgments will complete the wrath of God. And that's what the Bible tells us. These will fill up or complete his wrath upon mankind. So, yet, even before these final judgments are executed, God Almighty once again extends mercy to mankind. That's the mercy of God. And it, we see that in our own life. We get stupid we get rebellious and he begins to tighten up things on us we begin to feel uncomfortable we begin to feel conviction and we my wife and i've had several discussions about these teachings and she say honey how can how can mankind see all this happen and not repent and i say honey how can we have the pressure of god on our life and not repent how can we keep pushing it thinking well it's not that bad god's not that upset at me i'm not that miserable i'm still making an income i still have food on my table yeah but we're miserable and only the pride of man's heart will, will convince himself he can make it without repenting. That God is really not that mean. God is really not that angry with you. God is really not meaning what he's saying. And what that does is that heightens your life to a whole other level of opposition, a whole other level of frustration, until finally we break or God breaks us. And so we, it's easy to sit on this side of the rapture and say, boy, those guys are stubborn. Yet on this side, when there's all this grace, all this mercy, all this help, we still spend days, weeks, months, decades out of the will of God in stubborn rebellion saying, I know what you're saying, Lord, but I'm not willing to consent, relent, or repent yet. And what we need to be saying is, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me to be quick to believe, quick to forgive, quick to repent. Let me be of a soft, contrite heart. I don't want to be anything like these last days people who even though you're merciful, you are still opening up the next vial to pour out on them because they won't repent. So God Almighty once again extends mercy to mankind by warning them with the voice of three angels. So before he pours out these seven bowls of extreme final judgment he still sends a divine warning at the midway point in the tribulation three angels are sent forth and we've got to believe they can be heard the world over whether it's a voice in the air or whether they can see the angel we know it's supernatural and what's even crazier than that is we're three and a half years in the tribulation all that we've studied has come to pass and yet some folks are still saying I'm not serving God some will even say there is no God How do you explain three and a half years of what you've been through? And yet God, he ups the ante, becomes even more supernatural, uses three angels to declare what's happening, and folks will still say, I don't believe it. I ain't need to go church. I don't need to be there twice a week. I'm good enough as D is. Folks will still have that redneck attitude, even though they might speak Swahili or Arabic or Chinese or whatever. The attitude's the same the world over. So the first angel is given the gospel. This is the first time in the Bible you see an angel preaching the gospel. Now this is very critical because in our charismatic circles, when preachers get off, they often get into error claiming angels are telling them what to preach. If you've ever been to a church where the preacher says an angel told him what to preach, run, 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 because they're listening to a familiar spirit. A lot of the great Pentecostal leaders that came through the, the revivals of the 40s and 50s and 60s that died prematurely, they all had one thing in common, many things in common. One of them was they were hearing from angels what to preach. The Bible tells us the angels long to look into what we're preaching. They, are not, they don't give us the message. That's why we have the, whole, the Holy Ghost is the teacher, not the angel. The angels deliver a message, but it's not what to preach. It's go here and do this. When you study the book of Acts, you even study the Gospels. You don't see angels delivering messages to preach. This is the first time in the Bible, Acts, excuse me, Revelation 14, that you see angels delivering the Gospel message because the Lord is merciful and he doesn't want anybody to perish. It's no no longer enough to have the two witnesses in Jerusalem. It's no longer enough to have the 144,000 witnesses in the earth. He's now basically pulling out all the stops to try to save as much of mankind as possible. So this this angel in that midway point of the tribulation begins to preach the gospel because now this last three and a half years is called the hour of God's judgment. It's three and a half years, but it's called an hour, a season of his judgment. Again, angels don't get the gospel until this point. I've known preachers who claim the angel just told me what to preach. I would get up and leave that service. That's weird, that's spooky. But here the Lord does it because time is short and he doesn't want anybody to perish. The second angel is released and he declares Babylon's destruction. Verse 8. So we're, we're following in succinct, or succinct uh, sequence of what John saw. He says there followed another angel saying Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This angel declares in the whole earth that great city that everybody looked to is now destroyed. Now, Babylon has not arisen yet. Most theologians and eschatologists believe this city will be rebuilt. We have not seen it in our day. Most folks believe it is ancient Babylon, which would be modern-day Baghdad. Baghdad today is Babylon. Babylon, Baghdad is also Babel, where the Tower of Babel was built. It's all the same place. It's the same city. And so the question has been, well, how do you build it? Well, uh, they've built Dubai in 10 years right before I retired from geology, I worked on the U.S. embassy in Kazakhstan in Astana, the new capital. They, The Kazakhs decided 10 years ago to move their capital a thousand miles to the north, and they rebuilt the whole city. And so when, when my buddy uh, James went there to do work, I wanted to go to do the drilling, but they wouldn't let me go because I wasn't experienced enough for the Kazakh government. So my buddy James went in my place. The, you look in the skyline of Kazakh, this is 12 years ago, there were probably, no exaggeration, 15 skyscrapers being built simultaneously in a town you've never heard of. Astana, Kazakhstan, and we built the embassy there. We did the foundations and the groundwork over there. Kazakhstan gets so cold, the river freezes enough to be a highway, the river. The river freezes two and three feet thick. That's how cold it gets. They drive cars across it. (laughs) And in that kind of territory, they built a new city in five, 10 years. So it, it shouldn't shock us that they could rebuild Babylon in a couple years since Baghdad is still a pretty big city. But for some reason, it's going to become the head of the whole world. This angel says God's destroying the mightiest city on the planet. That's going to be a warning too. Not only don't, don't be destroyed, God God's going to destroy the greatest city in the world. It's not going to be L.A. It's not going to be Johannesburg or London or New York or D.C. It's going to be the same place the first rebellion against God took place, which was Babel where uh, Nimrod said, we don't need God. We'll make a tower declaring, we don't need God, we are God. And God said, that's confusion, and he judged it. That's where It's going to come full cycle. That's how God does things. So then there's a third angel warning again concerning the beast system. Now, this is before it's ever been implemented. That's how we know all these things are at the midway point. The third angel followed saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast. Now, he's declaring this in the whole earth. He's saying, listen, mankind, if you worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in your forehead or in your hand, you shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and you shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. Now think about this. The angel is saying, choose life. Don't get that mark in your hand or your head, whatever that is. We don't even know what that is yet. Don't worship the beast or his image. Don't participate in the system. If you do, you go straight to hell forever. The angel declares this. That's mercy. He's giving them another opportunity to choose life. And do they? Most won't. But every service, we get a choice to choose life. And do we always? Because we're convinced we're doing okay. We can make it another day Without doing what we know we've been taught to do. Which is really, we're not much different than the tribulation people. We're just saved on this side. We may want to rejoice that we are saved on this side because maybe we wouldn't make it if we were born on that side. (laughs) He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Notice the Lamb watches these people as they're tormented. Notice the angels. Again, that's the balanced aspect of the lovey-dovey hippie Jesus all the big preachers want to preach about. Because the common heresy is if God is love, he would never let anybody go to hell. But the angel declares the lamb will watch these people be tormented forever. Well, I mean, honestly, where can you go to escape the eyes of God? And the lamb does nothing to stop it because they chose that. That's just the balanced aspect of our God. Behold the goodness and the severity, the mercy and the judgment. For all the teaching we hear about mercy and love, we don't hear, now in this church we might, but most churches we don't hear enough about the severity, the judgment, the eternal damnation. One of the six principles of the doctrines of Christ is eternal judgment. Most churches don't even cover any of the six principles of the foundations of the doctrines of Christ according to Hebrews chapter six, one, two, and three. They just talk about feeling good and having a cappuccino every service. How can you call yourself a church when you don't even teach on a somewhat regular basis the six principles of the foundational doctrines of Christ? Foundational doctrines. There's only six of them. I would venture to say most preachers can't even name you three of them. Repentance from dead works, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, eternal judgment. There's four. If I could shake my head, I can maybe come up with two more. I want to make sure I can at least come up with three of them if I'm going to preach this severely. But there are Hebrews chapter six, one, two, and 3, and it's never changed. It's been there for 2,000 years. That doesn't build big churches this day, though. Feeling good, having a false hope, having, being able to eat anything you want to in your service. You know, First Corinthians 11 says, if you're hungry, eat at home. So I really don't get why folks, you know, now, now as you go to churches, you can have like a dinner buffet while you have service. That violates scripture. If you're hungry, eat at home, Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, last verse of the chapter. Jesus said, I, I can't send these away hungry. They've been with me now three days without food. He fed them after they endured three days of services. I just spent five days in services. We would take a break in the middle of the day in Kenya and have a big lunch and then continue the rest of our day. They went, we had breakfast, we had lunch, we had dinner, five days of services. They went three days in the Israeli heat without any food. And Jesus said, I guess we should feed them now. You can't even get a fat American to go a service without eating something. You know it's not spiritual because there's a fruit of the Spirit called self-control. I mean, are we a kindergarten or are we the army of the living God? Amen. Jesus said, when you fast, not if. All right, I'm stomping, uh. I haven't even gotten to the second page. We should hurry up and read. The smoke of their torment is sent up forever and ever. I guess they take a long time to burn. And they have no rest night or day. Those who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. So that's three acts of mercy. Worship God. Babylon's been destroyed. Don't take the mark of the beast. That's Mercy. This is before he ever sends the bowls of judgment out. He's giving them another... He's furious. He is ticked off with mankind, yet mercy is still oozing out of Jehovah God. So the final plagues here. After these three warnings, God no longer extends mercy to mankind throughout the rest of the age. And that's terrifying to consider. During the last half of the tribulation, God will be dealing with mankind through judgment. The preparations for these final seven judgments require the temple in heaven to be opened. That seems to imply the temple's been closed up until now. This is the first time we see the temple in heaven opened. But it's opened to judge mankind. On earth, the temple is open to extend mercy. The temple in heaven has been closed all this time because when it is opened, it's to judge mankind. You can see how the spirit of Antichrist has taught the American church to hate judgment. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. But the Bible says if you would judge yourself now, you'd not be judged. I would, I'd rather have portions of judgment in my life every day than save it all up for one final event. I'd rather be judged 30 times a day than save up 30 times a day for 10 years and have it all poured out at once. If we would judge ourselves now, though, the Bible promises us 1 Corinthians chapter 11 again, we would not be judged. So let's look at the first judgment here. Let's look at what the verse, uh, this passage says. John said, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with gir- golden girdles. That means big golden uh, belts. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Notice the glory of God manifests when judgment is distributed. Think about that. We see this is something similar when Solomon dedicated the temple. The glory of God filled the temple. Nobody could enter when they worshiped him. We we saw the same thing when Moses dedicated his tabernacle. The glory of God filled the tabernacle. They couldn't enter. Here, nobody could enter the temple because judgment has been distributed. That caused God to be glorified. Now, again, this 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 is giving us a balanced look at our God. Because right now, the American heretic preaches so far in a ditch that he's lovey 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 but we see in heaven the glory of god falls in the heavenly temple when judgment is distributed because anytime the will of god is accomplished god is glorified not just when we feel good us feeling good usually doesn't glorify god god having his will accomplished glorifies god and that causes his glory to fall and it says no man nor angel is able to enter that temple for the, till those plagues are fulfilled. It causes the glory to hover there till it's all done. It takes three and a half years. So nobody's able to do anything in the heavenly temple for three and a half years. And the glory just perpetually stays there as God is destroying wicked man. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. We, we are, the goodness of God is running out in this dispensation. And when the rapture happens, it's going to really hit a lot of friction and the severity will begin to be poured out. These final plagues are apparently stored in the temple of God in heaven. The presentation of them to the angels for use upon the earth causes the glory of God to manifest in the temple. We have never seen the glory of God manifest in heaven like that until judgment is distributed. These judgments begin in heaven and their use glorifies God Almighty. That's something to consider. The use of these judgments glorifies God. Now, mercy rejoices against judgment, but judgment also glorifies God. The reason we teach doctrine and cover scriptures is so we fully know our God. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you know their personality, their their heart, how they act and interact. We can't ignore scriptures. The modern preacher ignores hard scriptures because it makes sinful Christians uncomfortable. One of the things Dr. Barclay just said at our conference is that if sinners and dirty Christians are comfortable in your church, your church has been compromised. You shouldn't feel comfortable in the presence of God when you're dirty. And if I begin to accommodate you and your sin to make you comfortable, I've compromised God. God Almighty makes me uncomfortable 24-7 because he is God and I am not. And it is a joke that American churches are playing trying to make sinners and pagans and demon-possessed pedophiles, perverts, and homosexuals. It's a game to make them comfortable in your church. They're not going to find God until they're convicted enough to repent. And making them feel warm and welcome will not convict them of their sin and save them from hell. It's a lie from the pit that many pastors are drinking. And so we need to be mindful that if we're uncomfortable... God is present and that's a good thing even Moses said I do exceedingly shake and tremble this was Moses who spent time on the mountain on fire with God and he said I saw the mountain and it freaked me out yes. yeah. amen these seven judgments are the great tribulation Jesus Christ referenced in Matthew 24 so let's look at these seven bold judgments now the first bold they went the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. So the first judgment is boils. Big open pustules. Uh, If you want to know what this looks like, just get on YouTube and say Big Boil and see what kind of video you can pull up on YouTube. You know, the one that you can dip a saucer into or a teacup into and bring the pus out of it. I don't think these are going to be pimples. The Bible word is festering pus-filled sore. The kind you bump into and it splats everywhere. And I don't think it means just one. What will this do for the political leaders when they have to go on television and they're covered in boils? A pimple is something so much smaller than a boil. This judgment is the first of four to mirror one of the ten plagues of Egypt's judgment. So God's done this kind of stuff before when he was judging a, a world power. He's doing it worldwide now. The word sore in this verse is translated boil. Again, if you don't know what a boil is, just YouTube or Google boil. Not boiling water, pus and boil and see how long you hold your lunch down. And this is the beginning. He hasn't even ramped things up yet. But to be covered in boils. These boils will break out only on those who worship the beast. This is a selective judgment just like the ten plagues of Egypt. The tribulation saints who are still alive will dwell in their own Goshen. They'll be preserved. Yeah. And yet for all this, people still won't repent. Second bowl to be poured out. And again, these are poured out over three and a half years. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Now again, it's probably the Mediterranean. This is a repeat of Egypt's first plague. Assuming that this sea is the Mediterranean Sea, all of Europe, North Africa, and most of the Middle East will be horribly affected. Uh, If you ever get on a map, look at the geography, look at how many nations surround the Mediterranean Sea. All of Europe gets their livelihood for the most part out of the, the North Atlantic and the Mediterranean. But you think about the whole Mediterranean Sea turning to blood and everything in the sea dying. What will that smell like? What will just that much blood smell like? Right there... North Africa ain't exactly a cold place. People vacation in there in Sicily along the Greek coast and the Turkish coast because it's warm. And now you have the whole sea as blood. Yeah, all life in the Mediterranean will be destroyed. The stench alone would be unbearable, and the floating carcasses of all sea life will no doubt hinder shipping lanes. Your your cargo ships pushing up whales and dolphins. And I one time when I was in India, we decommissioned a dam. It was a small country dam, you know, a, a lake of a couple acres. And they drained the lake first before you, you can't just demolish a dam. You have to drain it. And all the fish, and this wasn't big. All the fish were left. And they can't have pictures of it. And the whole bottom of the, of the lake was covered in fish. I mean, it just looked like a coating of fish. And after the third week of that, we started saw cutting the dam. The smell, I, I was having dry heaves just because of the, not, I, fish smell doesn't bother me, rotting fish. Blowing in your face constantly And this was in the hills of Indiana In the springtime And just a few acres Of fish Nasty, 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 nasty Yeah The opportunity for disease can only be imagined How many diseases will spring up And affect the population centers Around the Mediterranean And yet the Lord he, He still is just dialing things up Third bowl The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters. Notice there's an angel that's assigned protection of the waters. We don't always get the spirit realm. But there's an angel in charge of the waters of the world. You want him to stay on guard so you have something to drink. The angel of the waters. Now this is his job apparently is to guard the waters. He said, Lord, you are righteous which are and was and shall be because you have judged us." For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and thou hast given them blood to drink for they are worthy of it. The angel said mankind deserves to drink blood for what they've done to your servants. The angel says doesn't bother me Lord if you want to ruin what you've given me to protect. It's yours and they're worthy to drink it. The angel's condemning the world. Angels usually keep their hands off but now that we have an angel saying they're worthy. Sure I'm glad Lord you're finally doing something about it because they've been worthy a long time. And I heard another out of the altar say, "Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments." No doubt, because uh, probably mankind will say, "This isn't fair. This isn't fair." Heaven always answers man's stupidity. "This isn't fair." And the two angels say, "This is fair, Lord. We want to know this. We want you to know. We agree. You're totally right for doing this." Heaven always answers man's belligerent attitude towards God. This is an expansion of Egypt's first plague. Whereas the first plague just touched the Mediterranean, or, the, or the, the first blood was the Mediterranean, this touches all the waters of the world. That's free drinking. Every fountain, every river, every waterfall, every well, every spring, this covers everything. The angel of the waters testifies that God is just in turning the waters, uh, world's water supply to blood. This is an answer to the prayers of the martyred saints in Revelation 6. How long will you not avenge us? Here he is avenging them. He gave them what they wanted. They wanted the blood of the martyrs? Here it is. You thought it would bring you life? Here it is. Drink it. Almost a repeat of the the um the belligerent attitude of Israel in numbers, where they said, We hate this light bread called manna. Give us something to eat. Give us quail. Give us meat. And the Lord said, All right, you can have it till it comes out your nose. Because see, life goes in your nose. They were convinced meat was their life. He said, No, you're gonna realize meat doesn't Give you life, I give you life You're going to eat this till you puke it out your nose You ever puked out your nose? You ever puked quail stew out of your nose? You ever filled your sinuses full of chewed quail? Now I'm sure they were tired of quail after the first meal And I'm sure they're going to see this blood and realize oh, Our bottled water supply won't last us long Maybe man's engineering can resolve this But I severely doubt it If the world's water is blood You can drill another water well and you'll, you'll bring up blood Because this is a supernatural curse Fourth bowl Actually without the adequate water The world will crumble into chaos And rioting You can see that very clearly They'll turn on themselves Fourth bowl The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun That's kind of trippy to think about The angel goes to the sun And pours out a supernatural vial And power was given unto him To scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these bla- plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Can you imagine an angel of God flying over the earth and burning men? Maybe they lay in bed and they just wake up with third-degree burns on their body. at work just almost as like the plague where the angel of death just visited everybody. He's visiting all those that have cursed God and burning them wherever they may stand. Imagine a divine heat wave that produces fire-like burns. Worse than any sunburn you've ever gotten. You know, you you can just get minor burns with a sunburn. You know, you get pustules and and water pockets and then you peel. And yeah, imagine something much worse than that. Ironically, this heat wave follows the loss of water. This is a one-two punch. They have no water and now the sun has been cursed for their sake. What will the Mediterranean smell like now? How will the damned find relief without any drinking water? They must call out to God, but most won't. For all this, they still won't repent. Malachi prophesies about this coming day. One of the things I found about in the study of of eschatology, how many scriptures refer to the day that has yet to come? I told you one of the authors I studied in his book on the Revelation references over 6,000 Bible verses. There's 32,000 Bible verses. He covers basically 20% of the Bible in his study on eschatology. All of this points towards these final days of mankind. This is what Malachi says about this very plague before John ever saw it. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. He's seeing the fourth plague. And all the proud, yes, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And that day shall, uh, that cometh shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave neither root nor branch But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. We like to quote that scripture for healing, but the reference is the end times. And it's a promise for those that have not denied Jesus Christ that if they will keep to him, he will heal them in the midst of all these plagues and preserve them. And they'll even prosper, says they'll grow up like calves of the stall. That means a fatted calf that's kept in a stall that doesn't get to walk and is just fed constantly. Those that fear God will not only survive this season, but they'll flourish like stalled cattle, partaking of Christ's supernatural healing powers. Fifth bowl, moving along because we're running out of time. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the sea of the, the seat of the beast. That means his kingdom, his, his, his capital building, his parliament, whatever he's using to operate things. And his kingdom was full of darkness. This sounds just like one of Egypt's plagues. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains. They know exactly where the pain's coming from, but they don't repent. They blaspheme God and their sores. Apparently, they still have boils. We don't know how long we're into this, maybe two years, and they're still covered in boils. Not, not to be gross, but how do you hold kids when everybody's covered with boils? How, how are you intimate with your spouse when everybody's covered with boils? How do you sit down when you're covered with boils? And yet they won't repent? How, how many boils does our life have to produce before we repent and say, Lord, maybe I should make a change. Maybe, maybe something should change in my life. And they repented not of their deeds. This judgment is a replay of Egypt's ninth plague. This is a darkness so dark it inflicts physical pain. Think about it. A pain, a darkness, so supernaturally dark, it physically hurts. So painful, you chew your tongue. Anybody ever chew their tongue in pain? I'm just trying to think. I've broken a lot of bones. My leg was the most painful. I don't know if I chewed my tongue or just gripped my teeth. But they, they will gnaw their tongues in pain, which gnawing your tongue alone hurts. This plague is aimed directly at the Antichrist's kingdom, all of his powers and governments and administrations. This is a darkness so tangible and palpable, it inflicts a pain that induces tongue gnawing. The boils of the first bold judgment are still afflicting mankind at this point. For all of this, they still refuse to repent. Stubborn, stubborn. May we not be anything like these people. May we be so quick to repent. May We have an altar call. That might only be a third me. Let's get to the altar call. Uh, I think it might be for me, Lord. I think this message might be for me. I'm gonna act on it. We, we shouldn't be excusing ourselves from the messages of God's word. We should be quick to repent of anything. Even as the psalmist said, search me, O Lord, if you find any wicked thing, anything, show it to me and I'll repent of it. Sixth bowl. six angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, And the water there was dried up that the ways of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto all the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty." The Lord interjects this and says, Behold, I come as a thief, blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they shall see his shame. Obviously, there's still believers, still Christians in this day. They've converted, and in the midst of this sixth plague, God is still protecting them, and he's saying, Just hold on a little longer. I'm coming quickly as a thief. The, The thief in the night is always a reference to the second coming, never a reference to the rapture. Rapture's already happened. He's still talking about being like a thief. It's about the second advent, the second coming. And he gathered them together in the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So the sixth bowl dries up the river Euphrates, which allows the armies of the east to come to the valley of Megiddo or the Armageddon, which could not happen because the, 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 valley, the river Euphrates is like the Mississippi. It's a massive river. It's a natural boundary. It has to be dried up to move that army across. A lot of questions are asked at this point. How can there be standing armies with so much death? How, may, here's a question I've asked. It talks about them being on horses. Maybe they have to resort to horses. Who maintains the tanks and the airplanes when 90% of the world is dead? Maybe, maybe we're thrust back into the dark ages. I don't know. At this point, it's all conjecture. If it's all horses and chariots because everything's dead, who's running the refineries for fuel? There's no water. How do, you, how do you maintain a modern techno army? It may be, you know, Don saw horses. It may be everything's thrust into the dark ages because who, again, who's making the pharmaceuticals? Who's maintaining the airplanes? Who's maintaining the rubber plant? Who's maintaining the rubber farms in West Africa that produce the rubber produce for the airplane wheels? Your total infrastructure is dissolved. I think we might be back to candlelight it's just a thought If you got a better argument I'm up for it We can debate in heaven <laughs> <laughs> To this point nobody knows But it would make sense If they're on horses You can't, you can't come across the, uh, the Euphrates With horses You'd have to have it dried up The Euphrates River was the eastern boundary Of Abraham's promised land And the Roman Empire The Roman Empire stopped at the Euphrates They couldn't cross it It's too much work. It's over 1,800 miles long and has served as a natural boundary for the east and the west from the beginning of time. Everything to the west of that is considered the west. Everything to the east of that is considered the east. This judgment will take place near the end of the tribulation as it prepares the way for the battle of Armageddon to take place. Armageddon is a reference to the battle that takes place in Armageddon. Armageddon means the valley of Megiddo. And we'll cover that in one of our next lessons. The Euphrates is dried up and three lying spirits go forth to compel the kings of the east to gather their armies. This is another evidence the Antichrist doesn't control the whole world because there's still kings over people who want to come kill him. So it's not a worldwide dictatorship. But there's still individual kings over individual tribes and people that still want to have a battle. But these come, they're going to fight Antichrist, but in the last moment, they gather together against Jesus Christ. And again, we'll cover that in one of our next lessons to show you how the battle of Armageddon unfolds. In the midst of this judgment is an exhortation from God to the remnant of believers still alive at this time. That exhortation is still to us. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't soil your garments. Don't throw in the towel. Don't go with the heathen. Don't be stubborn. Don't be lukewarm. Keep serving God. Seventh bowl, and we're almost done and we're past time. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. That's Babylon. And the cities of the nations fell. An earthquake so great, every city in the world crumbled. You ever seen pictures of Tokyo? Tokyo may be the most advanced city on the planet, especially for earthquakes. Leveled. Singapore, Dubai, Malaysia, uh, 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 Kuala Lumpur, you see those cities? Amazing. Beat anything we got in America. Leveled. Every city of the world falls in this earthquake. Who knows what that has to be on the Richter scale? Great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give up the cup of the vine of the fierceness of his wrath and every island fled away. Now this gets into plate tectonics and geology that I can appreciate. An earthquake so great, you cause islands to be moved and mountains to be leveled. We know mountains are all built by tectonics. We're talking about such a ripple in the earth. (laughs) I'm glad we're not here. And there fell upon men great hail out of heaven every stone about the weight of a talent 135 pounds and men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail for the plague thereof was exceeding great now we get if we get hail the size of quarters around here that's something can you imagine hail that weighs as much as uh, I'm trying to look I don't see any 135's in here that's a human being that's a heavy gymnast 135 pounds coming out of heaven You know falling five or six miles Before it hits you Dense. What will that do? What will that do to cars and homes and children's heads? And yet they won't repent They blaspheme God This final judgment incorporates Egypt's seventh plague of thunder and hell This final judgment brings to completion the wrath of God And the end of the time of Jacob's trouble This judgment is twofold. Number one, it's the greatest earthquake in history, leveling every city of the world, destroying Babylon, and hurling, number two, hurling great hailstones to the earth. Job talked about this, which I thought was so cool. Job 38 says, the Lord says, Have you visited the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble. For the day of battle and war, God has a storehouse in heaven of 135-pound hailstones. He's waiting for just this day. Job's the oldest book in the Bible, written before Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And Job saw it. And the Lord says, "You didn't know I got these things stockpiled." We're working on the newest version. It's called the 135. <laughs> we call it the Moa, Mother of All Hail. <laughs> Once again, we won't be here. I'm so glad to have found Jesus Christ, or he found me, or however we want to say it, and I'm not going to deny him, because this just gets worse and worse and worse, and they ask for it. May you and I never get to such a stubborn place in our heart where we are stubbornly refusing to repent. We're asking the Lord to crank it up on us. Now, as us children, he's not going to throw 135 hailstone at us, but he can't lord knows how to make our life miserable just like a good parent says boy i'll give you something to cry about yeah. i remember one time i got a little sassy with my dad as a teenager he's and i was talking about well that's my room he said son i have bought everything you own and if you want to push me you will be buck naked living in the backyard <laughs> yes father thank you father I don't want to be buck naked living in the backyard. He said, I will strip everything. The Lord knows how to get our attention. I just want to always give him my attention so he doesn't have to get it. Amen. By now mankind knows of a surety, this is the hand of God Almighty. But still they choose to blaspheme him rather than repent. Lord, that's a stubborn man. Praise be to God. We can serve him now. Father, I thank you for this lesson. We thank you that we are born again now. We serve you now. We're not ashamed of you now, and you don't have to do anything to get our attention now. We give you our heart and our life and our efforts and our resources. May we glorify you with all of our life. Father, we ask you to bless the future listeners of these pod school lessons and this curriculum. May it change them and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we got about seven minutes before service.